Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hour two of the program, and we're going to talk a lot of hoops. Billy Embody covers LSU basketball for 24-7 sports. He will join us, Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, bottom of the hour, as we talk LSU as they get ready to battle Kentucky. Plus, Pelicans and Anthony Davis will discuss those two things. A little bit of Magic Johnson maybe making a fool of himself again the second half of the hour. My commentary from right before the show when it posted, LSU prepares for Kentucky, Ice chance to join college basketball's elite that's the headline online at WWL.com right now. And so many people excited for what we're going to see tomorrow is number 19 LSU, 19th in the coaches poll, 21st in, excuse me, 19th in the AP poll, media poll, 21st in the coaches poll. We'll travel to face Kentucky, number five Kentucky tomorrow. It is incredible. The rise from the ashes of this program in 23 months. I just want to remind everybody. That at this time two years ago, I was on this program and, and we were talking about LSU's struggles, losing 19 of their last 21 games under Johnny Jones, who is the head coach there. 19 of 21. Early March, March 10th, Joe Oliva, athletic director at LSU, he's calling a press conference and he announces that Johnny Jones is fired. The LSU program had not reached those depths in a very, very long time. We're talking about who's going to replace Jones. A lot of people wanted Tom Crean, a veteran coach, lure him here, try to rebuild it. But they went the opposite way, and they hired this young, spunky guy, Will Wade, from VCU. Had two years there, took the Rams to -to back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. His allure was evident. He was 34 years old. He's from Tennessee. And he's already recruiting the same pipelines that a lot of SEC schools were. But there's some risks, and there were risks, hiring Wade. We talked about this. Inexperienced, prominent job. Hadn't really had to win with the guys that he recruited yet. But those really risks and those hesitations seem to to be unfounded here. Remember all the bravado Will Wade spoke about and with during his introductory press conference here's some of the things he said it's a new day for lsu basketball a new day for lsu basketball he goes on to say this was his quote from his introductory press conference less than two years ago will wade quote i'm so excited about the opportunity to lead this program and lsu basketball back to the top of the sec and back to regular consistent ncaa tournament appearances we have been to final fours we have been to 20 ncaa tournaments we have 10 sec championships and we're going to add to all three of those categories over our tenure here a lot of people and a lot of basketball diehards basketball jumpy junkies and big time lsu fans who maybe were also jaded kind of laughed at that i rolled at that okay coach wade kidding me here this is kentucky's conference 
John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats had owned and operated SEC basketball for a decade. Before them, it was the Florida Gators. You'd have the occasional Tennessee or South Carolina or, or Vandy that would challenge, but let's be honest here. This is the conference that Kentucky owns. Maybe Florida once in a while. Well, 23 months later, here we are, LSU, 19-4 and overall. They're 9-1 and in conference play. And forget any rebuild, folks. They bypassed the rebuild. I guess you consider last year a rebuild if you want to. But you're talking about a program that had won two SEC games prior to Will Wade get here last year. They make a postseason tournament last year. And this year, they're going to be in the NCAA basketball tournament. And they might even be a top four seed. It's incredible. Tigers have won 12 of their past 13. 19th in the AP poll. 21st in the coaches poll. They're 17th in net rating, which is the new RPI. They're top 25 in both the Ken Pomeroy and... Jeff Sagarin's rankings. It's remarkable. But here come their real tests. Kentucky on the road, Tennessee at home in the next 11 days. Number one, Tennessee next Saturday over at the PMAC. Now, LSU has a chance to start knocking down the door to elite status in college basketball, and I never thought it would happen this quickly. I think Will Wade did. I don't know if a lot of other people thought it would happen this quickly. Kentucky's going to be a test. Kentucky has reeled off 10 straight wins after their conference opening loss to Bama. Uh, nine straight wins, rather. They've won 13 of their past 14 games. Victories against North Carolina, Louisville, Kansas during that stretch. And uh, yesterday we saw the selection committee unveil their top 16-team preview, so basically the top four seeds in the NCAA tournament, and Kentucky was the number five overall team and the top two seed right behind Gonzaga there. All these teams I just mentioned, Kentucky, North Carolina, Louisville, Kansas, Gonzaga. Now that's college basketball royalty. Here comes LSU. Knock, knock, knock. Trying to knock down that door. They're going to have to prove they can beat the big boys first. It's not going to be easy tomorrow. Wildcats have dominated defensively, and it starts with their forwards, P.J. Washington and Reed Travis. Those guys, 26 points, 15 rebounds, two blocks, handful of assists per game, but it's that defense that's helped them reemerge as a really a national championship contender over the past couple of months. They've held six straight opponents under 70 points. Four of those teams haven't even hit 60. Now contrast that to LSU. LSU's been great offensively, but defensively not so much. They've allowed 80-plus in four of their last six games, and they've only held one opponent all-conference play under 60. Again, Kentucky has done that four times in the past month. I just got to wonder here, Nasreed and Emmett Williams, the two young freshman forwards, they're going to have their hands full. I got to wonder how they're going to react in this hostile environment, one of the most hostile environments in college basketball. Same for Tremont Waters, the sophomore guard. Leads the Tigers at 15-7 a game, but I talk about this whenever I talk to John Brady or anybody who covers LSU basketball. He's had some turnover problems this year. That's not a good combination at Kentucky with one of the 
best defensive teams in the nation. He's got to be patient. He's got to be smart in running LSU's offense. And, and I'm not saying he can't do this, of course. It's just one of the reasons why I think this is going to be a really tough haul for LSU. So tomorrow's not going to be their last opportunity to knock this proverbial wall down. They're going to have lots of these opportunities. And this is, again, this is really early on. LSU wasn't supposed to be here yet. But why would you settle for a constructive defeat? I even think a defeat would be constructive for LSU. They could, Will Wade and this coaching staff could teach these young players a lot, regardless of the outcome of this game. But you don't need to settle for constructive defeats if you're going to have breakthrough wins. So LSU is going to try to make that leap tomorrow. We'll have it right here on WWL, pregame 530, tip-off 6 o'clock on WWL, LSU, Kentucky. Let's go to the phone lines. We'll get a couple of calls before we take a break and go to Billy Embody. We'll go to Homer and Gonzalez. Homer, welcome to the show. Yes, I mean, I would like to see uh, the Tigers uh, go in and uh, beat Kentucky. And, you know, because uh, Will Wade, you know, can be a coach like uh, Coach uh, Penny Hardaway, like he's been in his uh, first year with uh, the University of Memphis. Look at what he's done with the uh, turnaround over there. So I think definitely Will Wade, if we go in and knock out Kentucky and Tennessee, you know, we could be on that same level maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know if it's going to happen like that overnight, even if they beat Kentucky. But just seeding-wise, which is so big in college basketball, when you talk about resume and the quadrant wins here, beating a top-five team, a team that the NCAA tournament has as their top two seed, number five overall in the country, you go on the road and win that game, you're going to jump up certainly as a top four seed. You might even be a top three, depending on what you do in the, the conference tournament down the road. Heck, could be a top two seed. Now, that's a long ways off. We're playing a lot of hypotheticals here, but everything's in front of this LSU team. They're very young. We don't know if they can truly win in an incredibly hostile environment like they're going to see tomorrow. That's the question that I have. Thanks for the call, Homer. Let's go to Joey in Pearl River. Joey, welcome to the show. Hey, Seth. Hey, Joey. Um, listen, uh, <laughs> man, um, just think how it how it was just a year and a half ago. Yeah. And what, uh, you know, how maybe Kentucky would have taken tomorrow night as a, you know, a, a day off. You know, the, the student body may have had something else come up or something, place not be packed. That's something that they can show tomorrow night is the, the fans that, you know, for LSU, what turnout is really about and what crazy is really about. Well, this is you're on right. the road. You know, this is this is in Kentucky, Joey. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm so saying. So you're saying the go Kentucky over there? Fans packing the Kentucky gym ah. will be, will, you know, will show, the, you know, the, the, the crazies that could be over at the PMAC what it's really about. Oh, you know, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, the, yes, the, Joey. The I'm on the same page with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got you now, Joey. Yes, this is – look, I, the, the PMAC, LSU basketball and fans there in the student section isn't going to turn into the Kentucky crazies overnight. I know it's the Cameron crazies, but you get my point here. But you're right. This will show – everybody watching that game tomorrow, you're going to see exactly what big-time premier college basketball is all about you all know if you listen to the show long enough this is this is my sport this is my jam this is what i live for every year so i'm all ready for it we'll talk to billy embody when we come back here on the last lap it's Greta van vliet another grammy winner we're playing grammy winners today highway two a band that so many have compared to led zeppelin Greta van vliet won best rock album from the fires 
continue to play some Grammy winners the best of the day. But we're talking about LSU basketball and their pending monster matchup with Kentucky tomorrow on the road. And on in comes Billy Embody, who covers LSU for Go247.com, at Billy Embody on Twitter. Billy, here we go. The uh, 11 days, a couple of monster matchups for the Tigers. Yeah, it's been uh, quite the test to get to this point, and then you have to go on the road and play the number five team in the country. It's uh, it, it's gone in terms of record about as well as you can ask for, for LSU over the last two games, getting those two wins over Auburn and Mississippi State, but now uh, a whole new ball game as as or animal as as Will Wade put it today with the with reporters when heading to Kentucky to face the Wildcats. You know, I wrote today and my opening commentary this hour, Billy, was just 23 months ago. LSU basketball, this program, had fallen as far as they possibly could. The last throws of the Johnny Jones era when they lost 19 of their last 21 games. And so many people were wondering, well, would anybody come here and be able to resurrect this program? And less than two years later, Will Wade's delivering on all those sky-high promises that he was talking about in that introductory press conference. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's going to be an incredible atmosphere and, and one that uh, is only possible because of the job that Will Wade and his staff have done, just changing not only the talent level in this program, but really the culture. Um, you, you notice uh, a culture of, of hard work, accountability. I mean, you know, Tremont Waters has a huge game against Auburn and he's back in the gym just right after the game and asked Will Wade about that today. And he, he just responded with, yeah, that's, that's usual. That's typical. Uh, Javante Smart, same thing after practice today, was back in the gym getting extra reps. So um, they're, they're a team that, that prides itself on hard work. Even you know, Naz Reed, uh, the, the five-star forward that they signed, is diving on the floor for balls and, and you know doing whatever it takes to win. So um, it's a big credit to Will Wade and his staff. So you're around uh, Wade a lot more than I am. What what makes him so special? Uh, every coach has their niche. It is He's obviously a great recruiter, but it takes more than that to win at this clip, especially in a conference like the SEC. What makes him so special, Billy? I, I think you mentioned the recruiting, of course, which which everybody can, can certainly point to and, and uh, you can quantify it. I think it's his drive uh, that really stands out to me and, and, a, and a drive to know more than anyone else uh, in terms of his team and then the team he's facing uh, when they step out onto the floor. He, he, he looks so much at analytics. I mean, a former math major um, at Clemson, just looking at analytics, looking for trends, looking for ways to exploit the other team and, and show off uh, his team's strengths as well. And, hide weaknesses. I mean, that's what stands out to me. The amount of research he puts into preparing for these games is, is just, uh, it's remarkable. Talking to Billy Embody here, covers LSU sports for go247.com. Let's get into LSU Kentucky here. And regardless of Kentucky status, and we know that's the, the level that LSU strives to be at. They've owned this conference the last decade. But if you really dial into this game, I, I'm a little concerned for LSU here because their strength to match up against LSU strength, their front court is is monstrous with pj washington and reed travis 26 points 15 rebounds and those guys can defend as well as any interior duo in the league i just think Nas reed and emmett williams and those guys might have a tough time uh, do you agree billy or do you see some areas where lsu can exploit i do think they'll they'll certainly have a tough time i think both teams are gonna have tough times uh in this one it's just the amount of talent i think on both sides of the 
the floor and, and you forget about Nick, Nick Richards coming off the bench for them as well. Um, LSU is just going to have to outwork them. I mean, that is something that um, Bruce Pearl and, and a lot of these other coaches and Frank Martin have mentioned just how hard they work for how athletic they are. And they don't rely on that athleticism. They, they are diving on the floor. They're trying to tip balls and create good second chance opportunities. And it'll start really on the offensive glass rest for uh, LSU. They, they uh, just do it so well. And it's something that, you know, Will Wade prides himself on. I mean, he mentioned it after the Auburn game last year was the first year that um, as he was rebuilding LSU, that his teams weren't in the top 25 in terms of offensive rebounding percentage. So um, I think it starts on that, you know, glass getting those second chance opportunities, but um, we've also got a heck of a point guard matchup as well. Yeah. What about Tremont waters? Uh, he's been great in conference play. The one area where he struggled is turnovers, just under four turnovers a game and, and going into that atmosphere on the road, I think might be a little difficult for him, Billy. Sure, uh, it, it will be. Um, Ashton Hagen is a really good defensive point guard as well, so he'll create some issues. But, it, you know, it, it's one of the first times this year that, that Tremont's going to have that experience edge um, over over his counterpart, Ashton Hagen's. And um, I'm interested to see kind of how uh, Tremont and, and Ashton go at it. Um, John Calipari was talking about it today. Uh, he doesn't know necessarily how much exactly they'll be matched up. But uh, I, it appears like Tremont is at least going to get the assignment of, of defending um, Ashton Hagens, And then from there, um, we'll kind of see how it goes in terms of what John Calipari wants to do on Tremont Waters. But turnovers are going to be key. Him creating space for himself to, to get some of the shots that he likes to take is going to be key. He's going up against a bigger guard in Hagens for the most part. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of how Will Wade gets him some room to work as well because if LSU is going to win this one, they do need a big night from from Tremont Waters to help that floor spacing and and create some room underneath for the bigs. Only about a minute here, Billy, but the NCAA Selection Committee Tournament Selection Committee, they released their top 16 preview. Only two SEC clubs in there, Tennessee at two, Kentucky at five. Were you surprised? And do you think LSU has a chance, maybe with a win against Kentucky or Tennessee, to rise to one of those top four seeds? Yeah, I think if 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 they can split, you know, these games, whether it, whether it be taking down Tennessee, whether it be taking down Kentucky, I mean, that uh, will certainly give them a legitimate win because that is something that they still really need. Um, they they you know missed opportunities against Florida State and and uh, Houston to get a good uh, uh, neutral site and then a road win on those two ones, um, and so they're looking for. A, a true statement win this year and uh, either one of those games would, would go a long way to making that happen billy it's going to be fun tomorrow six o'clock we'll be watching billy embody of 24 7 sports thanks so much bud thanks for having me appreciate it all right at billy embody on twitter be sure you give him a follow and again we will have coverage right here on wwl tomorrow pregame 5 30 tip off six o'clock lsu kentucky right here on wwl we'll take a break back with your calls and jerry palm of CBS Sports. More granny winners. This is Dua Lipa, Best New Artist, also one for Best Dance Recording. Might play that a little bit later. Talking LSU basketball and college hoops. Big matchup tomorrow. Number LSU at number five, Kentucky. Again, six o'clock right here on WWL. And we'll bring on in Jerry Palm now, CBS Sports bracketologist and college basketball columnist into the program. Jerry, welcome back to the show. Uh, fun times here in middle college basketball season. How you doing? 
Yeah, it's, uh, it is pretty fun, actually. Down your way, especially, that LSU team is looking pretty good. Yeah, it is. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the, this top 16 and, and LSU here, I was telling a couple of really college basketball junkies of mine that I'm having more fun with this season than I've had in a very long time, and it has nothing to do with LSU. It just has to do with the, the entire college basketball landscape that seems to be so intriguing uh, to me. Jerry, are you having fun with this one, too? Oh, yeah. Um, and oftentimes, well, I'm going to have fun pretty much anyway. Uh, you know, my own team has uh, a way of boosting that, I suppose. But uh, uh, this season is fun, I think, because uh, the talent of Zion Williamson at Duke, uh, that's a really good team anyway, led you know by really four freshmen. But uh, he's a, a, just a special talent we don't see very often. But I think just the top of the bracket is real competitive this year. Uh, we've got a, a lot of teams that are similar and very good. Uh, and I think we could find ourselves in for a wide-open tournament. So the top four teams in that reveal yesterday by the selection committee, Duke, Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga. Those are the one seeds, Kentucky, Michigan, North Carolina, Michigan State, the two seeds. Jerry, uh, just like you, uh, maybe not just like you, you probably watched a, an exponential amount of more college basketball than I have, uh, but like you, I have watched a lot. And the two best teams to me seem clearly to be Duke and Gonzaga. Uh, would you? What do you say to that? Am I off base there, or are you, am I close? What would you say? I would have said Duke and Tennessee. Uh, not that any flight meant to Gonzaga. I just think that, um, you know, in terms of what they've accomplished so far this season, and uh, and actually the committee, in a sense, agreed uh, when they discussed those two teams. Uh, the debate for the overall number one was uh, very split among the committee between those two teams. Uh, and then uh, Virginia was a clear three and Gonzaga was a clear four. And, you know, Gonzaga, of course, beat Duke in uh, Hawaii uh, earlier this year, lost to Tennessee, lost to North Carolina. None of those games, of course, uh, on Gonzaga's home floor. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's hard to, to judge Gonzaga as well because they're they're playing in a league where they're so dominant that they're winning games by an average of 30 points. And, uh, you know, it's just hard. It's hard to, to get a good read on Gonzaga. We just know they're a very good basketball team and, Certainly, I think they have to be considered a national championship contender. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago they were playing North Carolina for that. You got Kentucky at five. LSU's going to see Kentucky tomorrow. Uh, just a, a defensive juggernaut, and I guess they have been at times under John Calipari. Are they a national title contender again now, Jerry? Absolutely, yeah. And I think in the end they could end up being a number one seed. And I deal with the LSU game, I mean, obviously going to have something to say about that because you know, after Kentucky and Tennessee in this league, LSU, I think, is a pretty clear number three. Uh, after that, it's a bit more of a jumble. But uh, LSU has really kind of separated themselves uh, from the group of teams behind Tennessee and Kentucky in this league. And so now, you know, hopefully we'll get to see what LSU can do uh, with both of those teams uh, here late in the season. And I think uh, it's going to go a long way to the kind of determining the kind of a seed that LSU can get. Yeah, this rebuild, if you want to classify it that for LSU, way ahead of schedule, uh, only 23 months into this Will Wade era. And, and tomorrow won't be the only opportunity they have to knock down that proverbial door uh, to the elite uh, status. That's where Will Wade wants to get. That's what he said in his press conference to a lot of little laughs and eye rolls, but I guess he's on his way there. Uh, but to, I was just talking to one of the local uh, writers and beat writers for LSU about this. Tomorrow, 
seems to me to be not a great matchup for LSU if you really dive into this because of the front court depth and athleticism of Kentucky and then Tremont Waters turnover problems at times, especially on the road. That seems like a bad mix to me, Jerry, for LSU tomorrow. Turning ball over, definitely going to be a problem. He's going to have to take care of the ball better than that. Uh, and, and Kentucky's front court is a matchup problem for almost everybody. I mean, maybe not Duke. Uh, but just about everybody has trouble with their length and athleticism, which they always seem to have at Kentucky. And that's part of the reason why their defense is so good, because if you get, you, you can't really penetrate into, into what they've got on their front line, because it's, uh, it's going to get probably rejected uh, or altered in some way if you try and get to the hole. So it's, uh, they're not easy to break down uh, and having to play at Rupp arena is never a good matchup for anybody. Uh, but, you know, LSU has a chance to, uh, uh, you know, maybe make a good game of it or possibly even shock the world. It, it wouldn't be the biggest upset in the world if LSU found a way to win. Talking to Jerry Palm here on the last lap. He's CBS Sports Bracketologist and college basketball columnist on Twitter at JP Palm CBS. So if LSU splits their next two monster matchups here in the next 11 days, they got Tennessee at home next Saturday and, of course, Kentucky tomorrow. Is that enough? of a resume booster where they could rise to a top four seed and be part of that top 16 that was released yesterday. Yes, but they still have to take care of business against the other teams. You know, it's not a matter of just those two games that they can't beat, say Tennessee at home and then go off to lose to Vanderbilt. You know, you, you still have to take care of business against the teams, you know, that are not con- tournament contenders. And even if you have to play them on the road. So, you know, and LSU, by the way, has done a very good job of that. So far, you know, here this season, they've they've really done a good job, and that's why they've separated themselves because they have brought the same effort really to pretty much every game, uh, and are uh, and other than what they lost at home to Arkansas, that's you know that's pretty much it, and uh, and Arkansas you know is trying to make the tournament too, so it's it's really that consistency uh, that LSU has had that has driven them up the bracket so far. And if they're going to stay up in that part of the bracket, they're going to have to continue to do that regardless of what they do with Tennessee and Kentucky. Well, we've talked about a lot of the teams at the top of the rankings and this top 16. The one team we haven't touched on is the enigma to me, and maybe they always are, and that's Virginia. And I have been all on board this this Tony Bennett rebuild of that program for years, but I got to tell you, I have been burned, not just last year, I've been burned multiple times riding this Virginia bandwagon, Jerry. Is it going to be different this year? Well, I think it'll be different in the first round. I really feel sorry for who they draw first. Um but, uh, <laughs> no, know, no repeat of UMBC, huh? <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen to them again. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a really uh, talented team. It's a veteran team. They don't beat themselves. They test your patience at both ends of the floor because they make it hard for you to get a good shot quickly, and, uh, and maybe not even at all. And then they take their sweet time finding a good shot too. So they they make you work really hard on both ends of the floor and. Not too many teams can be that patient. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to take a very good team to knock them out of the tournament. What about the ACC here? They have three uh, uh, teams here near the top with North Carolina, Virginia, and Duke. But as a conference as a whole, I think, what are they, fourth or fifth uh, best conference in net ratings? That's the new RPI for anybody listening or, or new formula using instead of the RPI. Are they being overvalued as a conference right now, or is it just that top-heavy? We all know Duke's legitimate, but are the other teams, are they also legitimate here? Uh, well, I think that, yeah, I think the top is Duke, Virginia, Carolina. I think they're all legit. Um, and then there's a gap, Louisville, 
uh, Florida State. Virginia Tech is, is playing shorthanded and has been for a few weeks now. Um, their best player, Robinson, has been out. Um, so, But I think that you know there's another group there. And then you've got a couple of bubble teams, the likes of Syracuse, NC State, teams like that. And then there's another gap to teams that are just not nearly as competitive. Uh, Notre Dame had a significant injury back in December that really kind of uh, did away with whatever chances they had. So uh, I, I just think you've got like four tiers in this league right now, but the top can play with anybody. Uh, so a two-part question here that I'll ask uh, separately, I suppose. Most people I talk to, the, the, the national feeling to me is coalesced around really the four teams at the top being the four main contenders, Duke, Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga. Would you agree with that, Jerry? Nope. No, absolutely not. No, I think the uh, Michigan, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, Michigan State, the four teams that the committee gave us as number twos are all national championship contenders. And I wouldn't rule out some of the threes, uh, especially, say, Purdue and Marquette, uh, who have got individual players that are capable of lifting their teams uh, and carrying their teams, and Carson Edwards and Marcus Howard, respectively, uh, to a a long run in this NCAA tournament. Okay, well, maybe you answered the second part of my question there. Maybe we'll go outside of that top 16 that we uh, saw there yesterday. Give me another team or a couple of teams that you think could have that Cinderella run in March that we're not talking about right now. Well, outside of the top 16 that they talked about, um, I'd say watch out for Kansas State, who got uh, to the Elite Eight last year uh, and had a little bit of help. They were in Virginia's region, so they didn't have to play them. But Kansas State right now leads the Big 12 by two games. They had a part of the season where their best player, Dean Wayne, was out. Since he's come back, uh, they've caught fire. And that's a team that is really solid uh, defensive team. And it's got a couple of guys that can beat you offensively, too. So I, I would watch out for Kansas State as a team capable of making a decent run. Now, they may have ultimately end up as one of those top four seats, but they're not there yet. What about Villanova? Can they make another run here in the year that nobody's expecting it? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think they'll defend their championship or anything like that. But I think that's certainly a sweet 16-level team, if not a lead eight. I'd be surprised to see him back at the Final Four, though. Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, bracketologist there in college basketball columnist. Jerry, this was, this was a lot of fun, man. we got to have you on before that tournament uh, here in about a month or so. Thanks so much. All right, anytime. Thanks. All right, Jerry Palm at JP Palm CBS on Twitter. Got to follow him there and find his work again at CBSSports.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, your phone calls as we transition into some Pelicans and Anthony Davis talk. Magic Johnson out there with the Lakers stepping in it again, and it has nothing to do this time with the Pelicans. We'll get into that. And your phone calls at 504-260-1870. Our text line is 87870. I'm Seth Dunlap, and this is The Last Lap on WWL. Boy, country music fans out there, this woman had a huge night yesterday at the Grammy Awards. Casey Musgraves won four Grammy Awards. Best Country Solo Performance, Best Country Album, Album of the Year, and this, Best Country Song, Space Cowboy with Luke Laird, Shane McNally, and herself writing this song. Space Cowboy, Casey Musgraves, playing some Grammy songs, Grammy winners from yesterday uh, here today. So Magic Johnson is back in the spotlight for all of the wrong reasons today. The one that's Pelican-centric here, he was asked about the, the Pelicans and their discussions before the trade deadline about Anthony Davis and the Lakers pursuing Anthony Davis, trying to make a trade happen there. And he was asked directly if he thought that the New Orleans Pelicans front office acted in good faith when these trade negotiations were going on. 
Johnson said, no, they did not. And again, I've just got to step back and go, Los Angeles, Magic Johnson, Lakers, you've got to wake up and smell what you yourselves have cooked here over the last four or five months. It, nobody believes, and I have said this before, so I'm not going to beat this horse tonight for you know, a half hour here, but it deserves to be said again. This was a push by the Los Angeles Lakers, by Magic Johnson, by LeBron James, by Clutch Sports, by Rich Paul, by Rob Palenka to move Anthony Davis away from the Pelicans to Los Angeles sooner rather than later. If you think Anthony Davis and Rich Paul, his agents, all of a sudden on their own came up with the idea of going to the Pelicans' front office midseason while they were still in at least some type of playoff contention at that point. If you thought they did that by themselves without any consultation off the records with LeBron and everybody over there in Los Angeles, you're fooling yourselves. And Johnson is trying to fool us with this comment. The Pelicans didn't have to act, and I think they did act in good faith. The first offer that Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka sent over was laughable. It didn't deserve a response. That's why he didn't get a response back. So if that's bad faith and not responding to your laughable offer, okay then. The second one, again, all indications are and all reports are that Mickey Loomis is talking to Danny Ainge up in Boston, and Danny Ainge and Boston are willing to give up more, possibly much more, than Los Angeles offered with Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, and two first-round picks. That was the last offer. Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, Rajon Ronzo, and two first-round picks from the Lakers. We're getting reports that it's Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier, a couple of other players, and three first-round picks from the Boston Celtics. And not just the Celtics picks. These are other picks that they have. This is the better offers in Boston. It's just the Los Angeles is just entitled here. They feel like all other franchises, especially small market franchises out there, should bend the knee to their wills. And thank goodness, and I don't think it should be this way that Mickey Loomis is in charge of this franchise long term, but the Pelicans caught a break here. The Pelicans caught a break that they had the savvy NFL general manager who is used to dealing in hard, bitter negotiations with agents and other GMs that he wasn't going to play pussyfoot with this franchise. It just wasn't. I'm glad the Mickey Loomis had the backbone and the Pelicans front office had the backbone to stand up to Los Angeles and say, no, enough is enough here. Now, Magic Johnson's also in trouble here, and this is where he's really in trouble. Regardless of how petty you think he and Los Angeles and the Lakers are being, they are involved in another tampering scandal, and I got to be honest, this one might stick and might stick in a big way. I say might, you never know with the NBA. It might be the proverbial slap on the wrist because it's the Lakers. But on Monday, the NBA and their spokesman, Mike Bass, who we've talked to before, informed media that the league is investigating possible communications between the Sixers, a point guard, Ben Simmons, and Lakers employees. Now, this all spawned because over the weekend there were reports that Magic Johnson told the media that he wanted to talk to Ben Simmons, tutor Ben Simmons over the summer, go play on the court with Ben Simmons. 
Now, there's also reports that say Simmons first reached out to the Lakers, but then Johnson reached out back to Simmons. You can't do that. You cannot have the the president of basketball operations for the Los Angeles Lakers courting the star guard and really the, the future centerpiece of that franchise and the current centerpiece of the Sixers franchise during the season. Forget during the season. It just can't happen at all. What's the common theme here? It's the Los Angeles Lakers. It's Magic Johnson who does not believe that he has to follow the rules. I have all the respect in the world for Magic Johnson, the player. I have all the respect in the world for Magic Johnson, the man and philanthropist. I am quickly losing the little bit of respect I have left for Magic Johnson, the basketball president. This is not how things are supposed to work in a professional sports league. I don't care who he was. I don't care what he did when he was on the court. I don't care his connections and who likes him and the history that he has with that franchise. He should not be treated with any more leniency than any other president of basketball operations would in any other market in the NBA. And time and time again, we've seen Adam Silver and the NBA league offices look the other way when this type of stuff happens with the Lakers and Magic Johnson. Enough is enough. Really, enough is enough here. We'll see what happens with this one. This one is exponentially worse than any kind of tampering that reportedly happened with Anthony Davis. Let's go to the phone lines. Ryan in the Garden District. Thanks for hanging on, Ryan. You want to talk a little AD. What's up? Yeah, um, so I just want to bring up a point. I'm in the minority here. I've been a season ticket order for five years for the Pelicans, so give me a chance to explain I'll explain it. Sure. Um, you, the three teams that are likely going to get AD from us is Los Angeles, New York, and Boston. Am mm-hmm. I correct? Yep. Okay. First things first. I actually like the L.A. trade, and I'm going to explain why in a second. The second thing I'll bring up is why do we trust Danny Ainge? Of all GMs, he's literally got the higher end of every single trade he's ever made in the last five years. But in our mind, we think that Danny Ainge is going to give us a great trade. When you look what he did with Markel Fultz, flipping that for Tatum, getting two picks out of that, doing the the, ball, the Brooklyn trade that got four picks. The pick that everybody keeps talking about, Memphis, we ain't getting that pick for three years, okay, because it's protected, protected, protected. It's a good chance we won't get it, okay? If you look at Lonzo Ball, he's a top-two pick. If you look at Ingram, he's a top-two pick. If you look at Kyle Kuzma, he just had 40. You get three starters for one player that you can build length of gentry stays around. We haven't had a legit small forward to average 17 points a game, which is what Ingram's averaging since Jamal Mashburn. On top of that, mm-hmm. the Boston trade doesn't make sense unless we get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And the fact of the matter is, if Kyrie leaves, Boston's not going to trade us much. New York can only give us the top pick, which is Zion, which we might get just because we feel like we need to sell more season tickets, but that's not going to make us a better overall team. And, uh, then if you don't want Zion, then the Lakers are going to say, well, you missed out on Boston. Oh, well, you missed out on New York, so we're not going to give you as much. So good luck figuring it out. So that's the point.
part that scares me is well i gotta i gotta piece, let me let me piecemeal uh ryan let me let me try to, to answer some of your questions here and go back and forth with you number one why do i think that danny ainge uh, would have communications and if you want a, a good faith negotiation with the pelicans because he and mickey loomis are reportedly very good friends he's not going to stab his friend in the back here and just because he's won other trades doesn't mean he's going to quote unquote win this one and if you just look at the face of the trades that were offered the ones that we know were offered lonzo ball who doesn't want to play here that would be a circus and a disaster. Kyle Kuzma is a good young player. You don't know if he's going to be great. Brandon Ingram, good young player. You don't know if he's going to be great. Nothing else was reportedly officially offered here. And the two first-round picks, one of them would be a late first-round pick. That's almost nothing for this. When you get Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, possibly Jalen Brown, three first-round picks and maybe more picks here, it's it's just not close to me because I value Tatum, the players that they're giving up, and the chance to rebuild with three draft picks that would all probably be better than what the Lakers are giving up. I just think that would be better. But I appreciate the call and the commentary here. Got a break. Back after this on the last lap. This was your winner for best rock song at the Grammys yesterday, Mass Seduction by Jack Antonoff and Annie Clark, St. Vincent. One more hour of the show coming back after news. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 